0: Welcome, you are listening to the BYOB brass band takeover of Resonance Extra in collaboration with our friends at Soas Radio. For the next two hours, myself, Will Roper, is going to take you through some of the histories and sounds of the brass bands of New Orleans. you are listening to the BYOB Brass Band Takeover of Resonance Extra in collaboration with our friends at SOAS Radio, for the next two hours, myself, Will Roper, is going to take you through some of the histories and sounds of the brass bands of New Orleans. Now, I was lucky enough to live in New Orleans for a while. Most weekends, me and my girlfriend at the time would jump into a car, having been told by someone of a second line taking place in in this or that neighbourhood. We'd drive around with the windows open, looking for the crowds, following the bands. The second line as it's called. Ears open for the brassy womp womp of the sousaphone, the funky rattle of the snare, or the blasting signals of the sky high trumpet lines. We see the groups dancing, we'd park the car and join that second line, dancing for hours into the funky sounds of the brass bands, then return, tired and happy, trying to find out where the hell we'd park that car. We just heard a bit of Stooges brass band there with their tune Where You From, which name checks some of these different areas. To help us look at the history of the brass bands in New Orleans, I spoke with Matt Sakakini, a musician and professor of music at Tulane University in New Orleans. Matt's been researching the brass band traditions of New Orleans, and written an excellent book, Roll With It, The Brass Bands and the Streets of New Orleans, that interviews some of the movement's key players, bands, and looks at the social importance of this forceful movement. I first asked him why he chose to write about the African American Brass Bands of New Orleans.
1: Oh, well, I moved to New Orleans in 97, and I was the producer of a public radio show called American Roots, and we would go out and interview musicians all over New Orleans. And I found out about this amazing tradition of jazz funerals and second-line parades, which are these local traditions here in New Orleans. And I got to attend some of these and listen to the music of the brass bands that sort of propel the dance out in the streets in these processionals, studying those funerals and parades that are so unique to the city seemed like the it was the best way for me to be able to tell the story about what's unique about New Orleans through one of our many traditions.
0: I asked him what it was about New Orleans that made this tradition so special when you have brass bands all over the world.
1: Yeah, brass bands are found all over the world pretty much anywhere the the Europeans uh, established colonies they would bring brass bands. What's interesting about New Orleans is that the black population of New Orleanians took the ensemble and the instruments and made entirely new forms of music using those as sort of tools. And so they brought together a deep history of music brought over from West Africa that was allowed to incubate here in New Orleans, even during the slavery period. And so after the Civil War, the availability of instruments from marching bands and other (coughs) ensembles sort of combined together with this deep, deep foundation of African rhythm and participatory music making. And what came out of that was this basically a jazz coming out of these instruments, but not only in the nightclubs and bordellos and inside spaces, but actually out on the streets with these marching bands.
0: If you go down to New Orleans, just outside the French Quarter, is Louis Armstrong Park in the Treme neighborhood, famous for its music. What's now Louis Armstrong Park used to be Congo Square, an area famous in the history of the roots of jazz, because it was a place where slaves would meet to make music. I asked Matt about the histories of the music made there.
1: Back in the slavery period, There was a form of music making called a ring shout, music making and dance, that actually happened all over the Black Atlantic, wherever slaves were brought. The exception actually seems to be British-controlled colonies. The British were much stricter about uh, not permitting these dances that the French and Spanish and Portuguese would allow on Sundays, which was a, a free day, obviously related to the to the religious calendar. So the in the United States, which was, of course, initially British and Anglo-Protestant for the most part, throughout the South, there's really not a lot of examples of allowing these musical and dance gatherings to happen. But in New Orleans, because New Orleans was a French colony, they did. And they lasted all the way up through the 1840s, and they really provided a base of community music-making and dance and interaction between people. And some have suggested that the funerals and parades that came later, uh, which of course weren't permissible in the slave period but were later, Mm -hmm. are actually a sort of straightening out of the ring shouts that happened uh, prior to emancipation right there in Congo Square on the outskirts of the French Quarter. I think on the one hand, it's absolutely true that the, the sort of flourishing of this music and its relationship to to people dancing is very unique in the United States. It happened in, in Cuba or Trinidad or Brazil and elsewhere. But what was different about here was that after the Civil War, New Orleans was such a musical city, there were marching bands everywhere, there were orchestras everywhere, there were dance halls everywhere. There was a lot of music making going on. And the population of those who had formerly been enslaved and their offspring entered into this musical environment with a sort of very different, heavily Africanized sense of musical culture. And what's unique about New Orleans is the two of those things coming together. So, of course, in all those other countries I mentioned, you have amazing music. But in New Orleans, almost immediately you had the instruments and the performing style of the marching band combining with that. And that really elevated the style of music in the sense that black musicians mastered these European instruments and essentially revolutionized what you could do with a trumpet or a trombone or a clarinet and even, you know, the drums. So that's in some sense led to what many people consider to be America's greatest contribution to the world in terms of art, which is jazz. And most people associate that with recordings and club performances. But really, the musicians who played inside were also playing the same music outside in the streets in what we would understand as a marching band. They call it a brass band, but in these moving uh,
0: mobile ensembles. So, Matt, how would you characterize the sounds of these early bands?
1: The, The texture of the horns playing together is the signature style of New Orleans jazz and New Orleans brass band music. It's really everyone sort of stepping on each other's toes at the same time, and the trumpet is the loudest and highest pitch instrument and carries the lead, and the trombone has that slide, so the musicians kind of punctuate the trumpet melodies. And then that clarinet is often playing these very, very busy counter-melodies, what classical musicians would call an obligato pattern that sort of soars above everything and the, the tone of the clarinet in the new orleans style is very noticeable as that pinched nasal sound here we are talking about the clarinet but of course the saxophone in new orleans as in everywhere has really uh, i won't say replaced the clarinet because a lot of traditional musicians will still use the clarinet but it's essentially overtaken the role of the clarinet in yeah. and all our marching bands and brass bands and, of course, jazz as well. I often joke that, you know, New Orleans probably has the highest percentage in the world of tubas and snare drummers, and I would add to that, you know, hip-swinging clarinetist. It's just, it's a, it's a dying breed.
0: Listen out, see if you can hear that clarinet soaring through the trumpet lines of Bunk Johnson on this part of the first recording of the New Orleans brass band tradition. This is the 1945 recording of Bunk Johnson and New Orleans parade with their interpretation of by and by. was Bunk Johnson's group in one of the first recordings of the New Orleans brass band tradition in By and By. I asked Matt to tell us a bit more about the history in the beginnings of the 20th century.
1: The history of the brass band in New Orleans is a really interesting, twisting kind of, for, and for a long time, hidden history. And so we have records dating back to right after the Civil War, say the 1870s, of black New Orleanians playing in marching bands it wasn't necessarily that notable for locals. I mean, there were all kinds of Germans and Italians and Polish and other brass bands here in New Orleans. And in some sense, at the beginning, it just seemed like, oh, these black New Orleanians are just doing their own thing with the same ensemble that everyone else has. It really wasn't until... The turn of the 20th century that those musicians started playing more syncopated, more polyrhythmic, what we would now say funkier music and much more improvised music. And, and that was all tied up with the jazz, the emergence of jazz in the early 20th century. But amazingly, really no one outside of New Orleans picked up on this unique take on the brass band until... The 1930s and 40s, there was a book called Jazzmen that came out in 1939 that said, hey, you know, they have these strange funerals in New Orleans where these black musicians play upbeat dance music after the burial and everyone dances in the streets. And Alan Lomax, the great folklorist, sat down with Jelly Roll Morton around the same time and Jelly Roll said, hey, you know, back in my hometown, we have brass bands that march in the streets on Sunday afternoons and play uh, jazz music.
0: Let's hear a little bit of those recordings from Jelly Roll Morton, a legend in the history of jazz, speaking to Alan Lomax about the tradition of the jazz funeral in New Orleans.
2: Of course, everybody in the city of New Orleans was always organization-minded, which I guess the world knows. And a a dead man always belonged to several organizations, such as clubs and, uh, we'll say, Secret Order, and so forth and so on. And every time one died, why, nine out of ten, there was always a big band turnout when the day that he was supposed to be buried. Never buried at night, always in the day. And, of course, a lot of times right in the heart of the city the burial would take place. Well, that when the band would start. Why, we know that the man was fixing to be buried so you could hear the band come up the streets before they would get to the, to the place where the gentleman was to be taken in for his last ride. And they would play different dead marches. And on leaving, this would be the march that would usually start the plane, is the bird to the mountain. When they would enter the graveyard, some of them call them cemeteries and so forth and so on, very seldom they would bury them in the deep. They would never bury them in the mud. They'd always bury them in a vault. And they'd leave the graveyard, as they call it, while the band would get ready to strike up. They'd have a second line behind them, well, maybe a couple of blocks long, with broomsticks, baseball bats, and all forms of ammunition, we'd call it, to combat some of their foe when they come to the to the dividing line. And of course they'd start. The band would get started to hear the drums. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: attention to this and sort of seeing this as a valuable part of of what makes New Orleans unique. It's what, 1945, that another entrepreneur, Bill Russell, puts together the first recording of a New Orleans brass band. He takes this old aging trumpet player, Bunk Johnson, and asks him to put together a kind of pick up brass band, and they gather in a backyard and make a live recording with, with, what, maybe one microphone. And that's actually the first audio document we have of a brass band. And then a few trickling coming out after that, and it's really not until the 1950s that the world becomes aware of this unique uh, tradition and especially becomes fascinated with uh, the burial Processions of the jazz funeral, uh, in addition to the, to the sound of the music.
0: Let's hear now from some more of these early recordings. Here's a 1957 recording of the Young Tuxedo Brass Band, with their versions of Free as a Bird and Nearer, My God to Thee, a bit of a flavour of the slow, dirge-like tunes played at the beginning of a jazz funeral, before the body was committed to earth and the band started to play more upbeat tunes. <laughs> That was the Young Tuxedo Brass Band playing as some of the somber moments of a jazz funeral. Now, in the history of this tradition, the 1960s are seen as a renaissance. I asked Max Sakakini, our residence expert, to tell us a little bit about the importance of Danny Barker in teaching the younger generations.
1: Danny Barker and a lot of other musicians from the, that were active in the 50s and 60s in New Orleans claimed that the younger generation of musicians that was coming up weren't playing traditional jazz and weren't joining brass bands. Instead, they were playing the pop music of the day, rhythm and blues music, funk and soul music. and. Danny Barker in particular, who was a a jazz musician that was born in New Orleans around the turn of the century and then traveled all around the world and then came back, decided that if he started a youth brass band and taught them the traditional practices of the way the music had been played in his youth, that those traditions might be carried on. And he partnered up with a Baptist church, the Fairview Baptist Church, and created this sort of youth band. And they were really good because Barker trained them and he handpicked these kind of prodigy musicians, Leroy Jones and Greg Stafford on trumpets and uh, Anthony Lason on tuba, who later became known as Tuba Fats, and many other musicians. And they in some sense, became a new generation of traditional jazz musicians and ensured that those traditions would go on at a moment where it seemed like national styles of popular music were going to steal away the young musicians of New Orleans.
0: It seems like from this moment on, a new big band epitomised the movement of this tradition as each generation held its new heroes. But before we look on the big heroes of each generation, Let's have a listen to a record recorded and organised by Leroy Jones, a trumpeter who at the age of 13 was the Fairview's first inductee and one of the first in part of this brass band renaissance. Here he plays tribute to the Fairview Baptist Church brass band and the band that followed it, the Hurricane Brass Band. Here we have one of the essential tunes to the brass band songbook, Just a Closer Walk With Thee.
1: Interestingly, Barker also trained several musicians who learned the traditional style but decided they wanted to play the funk music they were hearing going on by the early 1970s on the radio and on record, Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown and others. Combine that with the traditional style, and they formed a great band called the Dirty Dozen and in some sense broke with tradition to extend this legacy of the New Orleans Brass Band into the modern sounds of 1970s America, wrote a great original called My Feet Can't Fail Me Now that really captures the instantaneous progressiveness of this music played by these ancient instruments that were, you know, a century or more older.
0: are listening to BYOB's Brass Band Takeover here on Residence Extra with SOAS Radio as your host Will Roper talks to Matt Sakakini about the traditions of New Orleans brass band music. And you were just listening there to the funky sounds of the Dirty Dozen brass band with their classic My Feet Can't Fail Me Now. Matt's just been telling us about how a renaissance of the 1960s led by musician Danny Barker Help lead to the progression that the next generations took, incorporating the sounds of funk and bebop, as we heard there from the Dirty Dozen.
1: And so, interestingly, Danny Barker not only ensured that there were traditional musicians out there preserving the style, but also that there were young people who were willing to take that training and apply it to the music they were hearing around them. And that's the real longevity of this tradition, is that there's a very strong basis of tradition but each new young generation brings it in tune with their own experiences on the earliest recordings of brass bands they'll be playing like gershwin's lady be good you know which was pop music of the day it was it was just the the songs that were in the air and audiences wanted to hear them and the brass band ensemble in new orleans like pretty much everywhere is really a people's music, right? You, you play music for the people, you get immediate feedback from the people. It's not esoteric, abstract music. It's meant to entertain people and to make them feel a sense of community in the moment. And, and that means playing music that's familiar to them and that they like. And every new generation of brass bands has done that.
0: So to highlight how this tradition in transition incorporates and covers contemporary popular tunes let's have a listen to two bands from different ends of the century first we listen to the classic eureka brass band with their cover of gershwin lady be good and then we go back to the dirty dozen and their later cover of sissy strut an original from the funky meters of new orleans all right, all right. All right. So that was a live version of the Dirty Dozen playing the funky meat as Sissy Strut there. Now, as Matt Sakahini, our guest, has pointed out before, Dirty Dozen were first in this new generation of brass bands coming out of the Renaissance. Beginning in the streets and in the local nightclubs, they blazed a trail that the majority of younger bands have since followed. This new generation featured much more of the back row, the tuba and the drums, incorporated modern bebop jazz into funkier styles as we heard before now one of the next bands to follow in the footsteps are none other than the rebirth brass band legends in their own right formed by kermit ruffins the tron trumpet philip fraser on tuba and bass drummer keith fraser his brother they found it while they were still at clark high school they've spread that sound worldwide Won Grammys, even President Obama said he wanted to go and catch out their Maple Leaf residency when he leaves the White House. They've added many songs to the brass band's songbook, and just like the Dirty Dozen before them, they felt like funking it up. <laughs> sounds at the Rebirth Brass Band there. As we were saying before, each generation was using the different styles that were on offer, whether jazz, rhythm and blues, soul, funk. And when the late 80s turned into the early 90s, the sounds of hip-hop started to influence these bands. Rebirth did it, as did the leaders of the next generation, the Soul Rebels. But there's a song that we want to play now from the Deaf Generation, a band that's fallen into obscurity but that Matt Sakahini writes about. Here's a recording of what he sees as the first recording of its kind to merge this hip-hop with the second line tradition. Here's Deaf Generations running with the second line. You are listening to BYOB's Brass Band Takeover of Resonance Extra with our friends at Soaz Radio. And you just join me as we're talking about how hip-hop joined the brass band tradition of New Orleans. There, from a little-heard track by Deaf Generation and running with the second line. The second line being this tradition stemming from the jazz funeral tradition of New Orleans, which saw the second line, the group of people, of dancers, of people coming out into the streets, and following the band and the Social Aid and Pleasure Club that's organised it. Now, while death Generation folded into a bit of obscurity, the next band certainly have not. The Soul Rebels Brass Band, are seen as one of the most progressive of their kind, coming after the rebirth and incorporating hip-hop sensibility into their compositions and productions. Here is an example of that, is Let Your Mind Be Free, from their first album of 1994.
4: This is an original by the Seurat was brass band called Let Your Mind Be Free. When we speak of Let Your Mind Be Free, first we talk about racial discrimination. Black, white, red, brown, yellow, doesn't matter what color you are, because we all under the same Lord, and we bleed the same color blood red. We talk about world peace, We're helping our brothers and sisters in South Africa, in Bosnia, Haiti, over in Japan, Northern Iraq, Northern Vietnam, South Vietnam, over in Germany, Brazil, Russia,
5: we talk about here home,
4: In Washington, in Dallas, Seattle, Miami, Detroit, New Orleans, Los Angeles. Talking about Pittsburgh. Talking about everywhere in the United States. The St. Thomas, the Magnolia, the Caliote, the Iowaville, the Beach, the St. Bernard, the Florida, the Zion, the Fisher. Let your mind be free. Stop Stop the killing. Stop the killing. Stop the killing.
5: Stop the killing. We'll uh-huh. right
0: was the Soul Rebels with Let Your Mind Be Free, showcasing how they merged the second line stylings with a hip-hop production away from the streets into the studio, mixed with tight horn arrangements, R&B style vocals, some Caribbean leanings there too. Now we were lucky enough to have the chance to chat to Matt Sakakini, who's an expert in the brass bands of New Orleans, and I asked him if there was any tension between these new and old styles.
1: Of course there's some controversy when you get into whether or not hip-hop should be allowed into this sort of august, established tradition, and some people are very opposed to that. When I talk to the young musicians uh, who are playing today, like the TBC Brass Band is probably the hot band of the moment, and they're you know all, all guys in their 20s out of high school and, and making a living playing horns and drums, you know they, they say that, look, this is not only what the people want to hear, this is what I want to play. I grew up hearing this music on the radio. I'm a musician and know how to play music and any kind of music, and so why should I stop myself from from doing what I want to do just to uphold a strict notion of tradition? They have to play what the people want, and I would even go further and say uh, they themselves, these are young african americans in 2015 in in new orleans they're not antiquated tradition bearers they're they're a young hip people who you know want to participate in modern society and they go to you know if jay-z comes to town they're gonna go listen to him, and when they have the opportunity to open for you know like the hot eight opened for Lauren Hill on the road a few years ago and got a chance to play with her on stage, and that, that means a lot to them, you know? It means as much to them as carrying forward a tradition that their forebears established, you know, a century ago. It doesn't seem like the tradition is falling by the wayside. There's a wonderful book that came out last year called Talk That Music Talk that describes how many programs across the city are... Are using older traditional musicians to teach kids, really, you know, teenagers how to play Just a Closer Walk With Thee or I'll Fly Away or other traditional standards both of those being hymns that are played at every jazz funeral and to improvise in the style of earlier days and it'll be interesting to to watch those musicians some of them will surely go out just like the Fairview Band and uh, maintain those traditions and join groups like the Preservation Hall, which is really dedicated towards maintaining older traditions, or Michael White's Original Liberty Jazz Band, which again is intent on showing the beauty of the older style of this music. And then I bet some of them will go on and some of those kids might go to college and study whatever kind of music they want to play. They might form a hip hop or funk group or a brass band that plays that kind of music.
0: Before we listen to some of these newer bands, let's have a look at the Rebirth Brass Band, still going strong and constantly keeping up their sounds. This is a song of their Hot Venom album from 2001, which features Soldier Slim, one of New Orleans' own and a big name in gangster rap scene. Here he joins Rebirth on You Don't Want to Go to War. Poor cold. You
5: don't want to to Soldier Slim oh. and you're Rebirth. Water, <laughs> I ain't never seen nothing like this, yo.
6: One way, you can catch me fucking like every day Sunday. Y'all don't wanna go to war, we got heat. Sounds off like horns, make you move your feet. You fucking with the bird, it's like fucking with me. And I'm a nigga, never gonna force the beat. With some raw to speak, every bird. And I be representing that dirty third. Catch them round, Kim, bring around round, to heaven. The reverb is my people, you don't know what's the happen. I'm Wild Mac, know y'all about that blast. And the haters won't ride, hope your seatbelt fast. I play Gold Crush you play and tell your people stop hating for I tear back To so let it buck jump y'all buck to death and you ain't rolling with it if you won't sweat so just live with the birthday i'll never forget and you ain't saying until stop, stop talking that shit we don't want nobody to get hurt today all we really want to see is footwork today i do this shit here straight up on gp and none of you niggas don't want fuck with me y'all don't want to go to wall y'all ain't about this because i got niggas that know where your house is don't wanna go to wall You don't
1: wanna go to The great thing about music is that it's a tool that each individual can use to express themselves in their own way. And right now, I don't think too many people are worried that the traditional music is going to go away because there's always a market. For people who want to hear that, and there's always people who reach a point in their careers when they want to play that kind of music to please people.
3: Yes,
5: we got two accents this time, representing that 20. <laughs> we passin' this one to nowhere but the ghetto. Let's see that. How they talk?
3: I don't think at all.
0: Band in New Orleans with their tune Rasta Funk. I asked Matt Sakahini about the history of the Hot 8 Brass Band and the history of their trombone player who wrote that song, Joseph Williams, otherwise known as Shotgun Joe.
1: So, there was a great band that came out in the late 1990s called the Hot 8 Brass Band. These were really young guys that were in high school and many of them were living in the public housing projects and really come from extreme poverty. And one of them, uh, Shotgun Joe, was a trombone player who came from a very famous family of musicians, the Lasty family. His uncle is a great jazz drummer called Herlin Riley, who was Wynton Marsalis' drummer for years. And his grandma, Betty, is a great gospel singer from New Orleans. So he, he grew up, Joe grew up immersed in music, but he also had family problems. And in fact, um, tragically, when Joe was just a kid, his father actually shot and killed his mother. And I know this is a horrible thing to hear about, but if you can just imagine what it must have been like for Joe to experience that Mm -hmm. and to have to go on to the witness stand and testify against his own father who who went to jail for life after that, you can kind of imagine the circumstances that he grew up in. And in fact, he did really struggle with, with drug addiction throughout high school and after, but he was just one of the great trombone players in this brass band tradition and the hot eight recognized that and they recruited him into the band and he wrote these wonderful songs one's called rasta funk is on their first record from 2004 and it's got this just menacing reggae groove and this beautiful overlay of trumpet and trombone and saxophone parts very complicated music for a brass band and tragically joe was actually involved in an altercation with the police where they pulled him over driving a car, and no one knows what happened, but he was shot and killed in the car by three police officers. Uh, He was unarmed. He actually just had his trombone in the car. He was going to play a jazz funeral, of all things. And the police investigation didn't lead anywhere, and none of the police were held accountable for shooting this young unarmed man. And what's been fascinating and, and really gives you a sense of the meaning of brass band music to the young people who play it, is several of his bands, including the Hot Eight, wrote songs about Joe testifying to what happened. One of them, another trombone player, a Jerome, who wrote it of the Hot Eight, calls it You Bang, We Bang Back. Uh, you can actually find the song on the Internet. It's called Ray Nagin, who was the mayor of the time. And it's this very forceful call-out to police and names the police officers who killed him. it's a very very hip-hop take on the brass band the old style people literally rapping over tubas and trombones and trumpets and marching drums beautiful beautiful testament to joe's life and legacy and the tragedy of his ending
5: yeah. We gon' keep this party going, y'all. We gon' keep it rolling.
3: How these bands in the house, y'all? Y'all feeling alright? They did. He not too hot. <laughs> not yet. We got yeah, y'all. Got here, Come on. Ding they... go. You bang, we bang, bang. You bang, we bang, bang. You bang, you bang. I said, Why they had to kill them? Why they had to kill them? Let it go. Break it and let it go. Body let it go. Let the go. Let it go. it
0: takeover of Resonance Extra with our friends So as Radio, and you just heard the Hot 8 brass band with their tune Ray Nagin, You Bang, We Bang Bang, a song written in retaliation and commemoration of the death of Joseph Williams, their young trombone player who was killed by members of the New Orleans Police Department on his way to a jazz funeral, unarmed but with a trombone by him.
1: There's also another Hot 8 song called Miss My Homies, which is more easily available. It's on their first record, and they give a shout-out to Joe on that record and to other people they've known who were tragically killed too young. I think probably the most well-known local song about Joe was by another band, the Stooges Brass Band, and they grew up uh, hanging out with Shotgun Joe as kids, and when he was shot and killed by the police, they wrote a song called Why They Have to Kill Him, which is a, a local standard in some sense. Interestingly, It was only released on recording a year or two ago, but all around New Orleans at all the parades and the clubs that the students would play, everyone would sing along to this song about Joe who who grew up with so much uh, struggle and whose life ended in such tragic circumstances. Beautiful, amazing song, probably one of the most important songs added to the brass band tradition in the last 10 years. ¶¶ Surprised me when I started hanging out with musicians right after Katrina. Is so many of them have studios at home and they make recordings and they're up on the latest technology. They use software programs to make beats. A lot of them have amateur sort of rap and hip hop careers and write their own tracks and uh, rap their own songs. And then they'll go out and play, you know, a, a tourist gig at the convention center or a second line parade out in the back of town neighborhoods on a Sunday afternoon. Most of them have some type of weekly gig at a club. The Hot Eight plays Sunday nights. The Stooges play Thursday nights. Rebirth plays Tuesday nights. TBC plays Wednesday nights. It's a very, very active community of very ambitious musicians who are taking the opportunity to play music full time and really making the most out of it.
0: I asked Matt if he thought the African-American brass band tradition of New Orleans had any effect on the issue of race in the U.S., especially with the Black Lives Matter movement going on.
1: I I teach a class on New Orleans music because I teach, have the the incredible opportunity of teaching music in this amazing city here at Tulane. I have a field trip out to a second-line parade every time I teach the class and what I hear back from my students, who many of them grew up in privilege, and many of them who aren't from New Orleans and aren't aware of these traditions, what they tell me is that all they have heard about in terms of African Americans in urban cities in America, New Orleans maybe especially, but all around, of course, is filtered through the media and through TV accounts that really focus on negative consequences of what you know America's history with race has wrought, right? Which is extreme poverty, a war on drugs that produces violence. And when you actually go into the communities of these inner cities and interact with African Americans, you see a whole other side of life that isn't represented in the media. And so if you go on a second line parade that takes you through the housing projects or takes you through a neighborhood without a lot of amenities and, and with substandard housing conditions, what you learn is that there's everyday people just like in any neighborhood and that there's a, a very diverse array of people and their their behaviors and their attitudes towards life. And it's just that within the United States especially, and, and then Britain, of course, has its own history, you don't hear about those everyday people and who are just going about their business but when you go out and actually interact with those people you learn that uh, there's a whole spectrum of lives out there and what we hear most about is the people who are caught up in the laws and the policies and the social patterns that have kept african-americans marginalized in this country for you know centuries when when you're confronted with a more complex reality my hope would be that you say, huh, you know, maybe what I'm hearing is only, you know, what what we're all hearing is only part of the story. This is, of course, the real message of the Black Lives Matter movement is that that there are still issues that the United States needs to confront around race, and there are still stereotypes and misperceptions of The behavior and the activity of of blacks in the United States, and that these are self-perpetuating, right? When you keep creating laws or going and doing illegal things that essentially amount to a form of racism, that, of course, you can then also turn around and point fingers at poverty and criminality and other issues. But when, when we widen the lens and look at the activity of all people in America, we find that... Everyone every population has good and bad and in between and it's, it's more much more of a stigma and perception issue that fuels that fuels racism discrimination There's a great program in New Orleans called Roots of Music, which is a non nonprofit music education program for middle school kids in New Orleans and they're the centerpiece is a marching band, and this, this is a, a school band. It's not a improvised jazz band, but a hundred-piece marching band that plays written arrangements and teaches kids not just how to read music and play the technical aspects of learning to play trumpet and trombone and all of that, actually introduces them into repertoires of black music and puts them out in these Mardi Gras parades where they, they get to be a sort of spectacle out thousands of people appreciating what they do. So I think music does have the power to transform society, even in a small way, both in terms of giving young people tools, but also in terms of transforming other people's ideas and presumptions of what's possible.
0: I asked Matt how the brass band tradition had helped in the recovery of the city after the damage brought by Hurricane Katrina and Rita in the August of 2005.
1: After Katrina in 2005, there was a lot of concern that musicians wouldn't come back, and there were all kinds of reasons for them not to come back. The housing projects were entirely shuttered. The public school system was completely overturned. Help! There was virtually no uh, health care, emergency rooms, mental health care, And there was a lot of concern of what happens if musicians don't come back because the whole city's identity is as a musical place of live music making, but also because the whole local economy is based on tourism and tourists come here to hear the music and to dance just as much as they come to eat and drink. And lo and behold, uh, people did come back and did reunite their bands. And in some sense, I think the city really owes its musicians a debt of gratitude and, frankly, a financial debt as well, because the question of if New Orleans would come back really hinged on them coming back. Of course, we can look back now and say, phew, we made it, but I think we can push the city to treat them better and to push venues to pay them better because their importance is often not understood. But I think that Katrina moment really taught us that we should appreciate them and beyond the the sort of official structure of the city so many stories of parades happening in completely destroyed neighborhoods and people driving back from Houston or Atlanta or wherever they had evacuated to just to parade through their neighborhoods and hear that sound of the brass band that is the sound of home to them <coughs>
5: Uh, 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 uh,
4: How they had us on that bridge? So let's get it. How we lit? That's why we did what we did. When I lost my city, almost lost my mind. In and out of hotels, feel like I'm doing time. Please, Mr. Officer, don't shoot, cause I ain't ain't nids, I was stuck up on that roof, ain't trying to make an excuse, but they running from the truth, we know they blew them levers, man, but we ain't got no proof, whatever they do, I can't turn my back, I was born righteous, so righteous is where I'm at, send them troops home, let daddy to Santa Iraq, and tell FEMA we gon' need more than 10 stacks, wherever you at, saving all to the Cali, yo, one time do it big for the narrow. H-Town all the way to the A, we appreciate the love, but my people can't stay, we the man, so we're waiting to get
0: That was the Free Agents brass band with We Made It Through the Water. And you are listening to the BYOB brass band takeover of Resonance Extra with a little help from our friends at SOAS Radio. With me is Matt Sakakini talking about the history of the brass bands in New Orleans. Luckily, here
1: in, in 2016, the landscape is quite different. Of course, there are still neighborhoods that are still rebuilding. But really, we're on a new stage of redevelopment of the city, and there's other great things happen, and there's other things we need to worry about in terms of rising costs of living here that are threatening to push out lower-income residents, including many musicians who really struggle to get by. So yeah, I think one of the things I, I always tell my students is you can learn a lot about society by studying music. People think Music is just window dressing for the real stuff that goes on, but all aspects of society, race, economics, inequality, it's all present in the music and how we hear it. After the storm, many of the city's neighborhood associations have been pressuring the city council to regulate live music more. It means both street musicians who play out in the street for tips and bars and nightclubs that hire musicians to play on stage, and the city council proposed a sound ordinance that would restrict those venues and those street musicians in cahoots with the neighborhood associations who who wanted quieter neighborhoods and more regulation. And amazingly, the musical community and other activists and advocates really pushed back And many of us were arguing on behalf of musicians and the musicians themselves were arguing that the music is not only the heartbeat of the city that in terms of the sort of touchy-feely emotional aspect of it, but in terms of of hard economics that if you take away the street musicians and reduce the number of venues where live musicians can play and make them quieter— this is all going to circle back economically, not just to harm those musicians and take away their source of income, but to harm everyone, our property values, our, our rental markets. And because people come here for music, and once we've made that kind of pact, if you, if you take the music away or if you try to silence it, it's going to have ripple effects that will affect everyone. Right, Phil from Rebirth, who's now a... Uh, the band leader of Rebirth who plays tuba, who's now, you know, able to make a living off music, running one of the most popular bands in the city. Where did he get his start? He got his start playing in the French Quarter for tips. Amazingly, the the most recent band on the scene, TBC Brass Band, exact same thing. They got their start out on uh, the corner of Canal and Bourbon Street, putting together a band, and the police and the neighbors have tried to shut them down. And this is what has led to the pushback from the community saying, you know, if you take this away, you're potentially discouraging young people from entering into music. You're taking away an opportunity for them to get their start in music. And so there's kind of a a delicate negotiation that's happening right now in the city where we're at a bit of a standstill and we don't know if, if a new city council ordinance going to pass and how strict it's going to be and so we're we're basically preparing for that official discussion right now and and hoping for the best
0: so with that let's hear a little bit of the TBC to be continued brass band and their track encore remember they started off playing in the corner for change just as these big brass bands did before them and now they're one of the big bands in town (laughs)
5: we <laughs>
1: I mean we even have our most famous music festival in New Orleans is called the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival of course our music and our food is the sort of core of what it means to be a New Orleanian we can draw upon that it does scare me a little bit because places that can't draw upon that in those places you should still be able to make music and you should still be able to make a living Mm -hmm. playing music and We're at a crossroads right now in the music industry where it's hard to convince people that musicians deserve to earn a living and deserve a space to make their music when everything is is freely available and so many people are concerned with uh, maintaining a sort of suburban notion of quiet. In New Orleans, we can lean on heritage, but I think in reality, that's a dicey game. People need to understand the value of music all across the board.
0: You're listening to Resonance Extra with Soaz Radio and the BYOB Brass Band Takeover, talking with Matt Sakahini, a writer on brass bands of New Orleans, telling us about the pressures that the modern guys have at the moment. And I asked Matt to tell us about some more contemporary bands that we should all be listening out for.
1: Yeah, the Stooges have been around for a while and they're apparently putting out a 20th anniversary record. TBC has many records out. There's a new band, or a recent band, called The da Truth, D-A-D-R-U-T-H, that I believe has recorded a CD and is playing regularly around town. It's a very healthy scene, and of course, uh, Rebirth and the Hot Eight are still going. The Hot Eight are signs a British label, and they're over there all the time. It's such a healthy, vibrant scene, and you come here, and it, it almost seems like there's new bands cropping up, all the time and there's still parades most Sunday afternoons and if a musician or some prominent member of the community passes away they're honored with a jazz funeral it's a very vibrant deep deep scene the best of the bands make it out of the city into places like England Um, but when you come here you really get a sense that it's a pretty endless well.
0: So let's have a listen now to some of these young guns this is the new breed brass band featuring fifth ward weeby with what you're working it for. Ha,
3: oh, huh, yeah, huh. ha come on, huh, Jack. feel, feel,
4: feel, feel, we New Breed Brass Band, let's get it, huh? Ain't no, you gonna stand up for this one, you gonna footwork off for of this one. Believe that, huh, uh, let's get it, huh? Uh, come on, I oh, want you shaking it for? What you twerking it for? What you're dropping it for? you popping it for? What you shaking it? Working it up, put you dropping it up, put popping it up. You can run but you can't hide. drop, jumping like a second line. You can run but you can't hide. drop, jumping like a second line. I say drop that, shake that, make it work. You don't need no more to just to make it work. It got fire, work, work, no swag.
0: That was the New Breed Brass Band with What You're Working If Far featuring Fifth Ward Weeby. And I had to ask Matt, what was the role of women within all this?
1: We're trying to figure out why there are so few professional women instrumentalists in brass band and jazz music and other styles that come out of New Orleans. And frankly, that all across America, for instance, in New Orleans, there's a very strong marching band tradition And there's actually a very high representation of girls in those bands, including in brass and lower brass and drums, which were traditionally the province of men. But we're still not seeing girls leaving school and pursuing music professionally drastically lower in regards to men. And of course, there's these musical styles like so many others are patriarchal in the sense that They're run by men to the exclusion of women. And yet that doesn't explain fully what clearly what's going on is women also don't see a space for them. That's where they can feel welcome to make music as women in a male-dominated world. And so I think we need to know more about what's happening in that transition out of school and into the professional world. There is one band Uh, called the Panettes, which is an all-female brass band of black New Orleanians, most of whom came out of a Catholic girls' school here in the city. And they're one of the great bands in the city. In fact, they won the competition of brass bands a couple years ago, which, by the way, was named the Street Kings Competition, which which gestures towards the patriarchy I was talking about. They held up a sign as winners proclaiming themselves Street Queens, which was a great moment in the city, and, and they've really taken hold of that mantle and and actually have brought in younger musicians coming out of school into the band but we really need to see more space and more encouragement given to girls at the moment when to, to encourage them to understand that there are opportunities for them just like anyone. Ideally, we would not only have an all-women, exclusively women brass band, but we would have brass bands with male members who were open to having female counterparts in those bands, so it's a matter of educating men as well.
0: So let's hear now from the original Pinettes, or the Pinettes Brass Band, making a storm down there in New Orleans with a version of their tune, Get A Life. the Pinette's Brass Band with Get A Life. Now we're going to have to move on from the New Orleans tunes for now. It's been a long two and a half hours and I hope you're not tired of dancing. Many, many thanks to Matt Sacacchini for leading us through a bit of the traditions and history. If you want to know more please check out his book Roll With It online. You've been listening to Will Roper on the BYOB Brass Band Takeover. Here on Residence Extra with our friends SoAs Radio. But before we move on Here's a last tune from the Rebirth Brass Band, here to stay.